Welcome back. This is episode number two. To the actual event. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I thought, good advice. Thank yeah. you. And, and I looked at you and I said, so what? What have they actually got? And the solicitor, he said, look, they have a statement taken from the child on the day of the alleged incident. And he said, um, the, already these statements don't match up because originally the child said you touched him um, like inappropriately um, said, but then the second statement they got he says he touched me on the midriff and I looked at the solicitor and he says yeah that's not a word a 12-year-old boy uses. No, not a, especially, and, and I'm going to jump in and I know that you'll probably make this point too, but especially in a deprived area where the children are have challenging issues. Yeah, I mean... That immediately jumped we, out we at me. We can be as PC as we like about this, but he's a rough Coventry kid, <laughs> you know, bless him. <laughs> I love them to bits, but midriff? Yeah. <laughs> Even I don't use that No, word. I, I was going to say. And, and I, well, the interesting thing was, I said to him, well, who took the original disclosure? Now, if hmm. I say to you... I, I know exactly. Who, would it be the head teacher by any chance? It would. Wow. Um, because he happened to be the duty staff in the isolation room. And I just thought, oh my God, I can see how this is fitting together. Um, my incident report I wrote magically vanished. Luckily, I had a copy. A copy, yeah. Um... But anyway, this solicitor, he was, he was trying to downplay it. Cause he said, look, they don't really have anything except for inconsistent um, statements. Um, and the child who said this, you know, he was... I, I must be careful what I say here, but not a nice child. He was a bully, a thug, a known pathological liar. I mean, he was such a liar that he would stand in front of you with a brick, throw it through a window, and then deny that he did it. Hmm. As he looked in your eyes, he was that bad a liar. Anyway, so interview then happens. I go through the events of the day, of what happened. 
I named the witness who saw me break up the fight. Um, that was another pupil. Um, I'll come back to that later because interesting, I felt it now. That is the one thing that still gets to me. Yeah. And I'll I'll explain why, why later. Okay. Um, but anyway, so finished up the interview and pretty soon I was out of the station um, and it was it was literally thank you very much sir um, bye bye now and I'm um, standing in the middle of Coventry City Centre and I, uh, my first thought was how rude you drove me here yeah and it's dumped now I've just been dumped station yeah. in the middle of the city and I I walked away from the station and I honestly can't remember that walk I must have walked about a mile across the city centre trying to think well, you know what do I do um, but I mean at this point I still hadn't phoned anyone I turned down the um, option to use my phone call um, and I knew that I was gonna have to phone my mum but I was trying to think well, how the hell do I start that conversation um, so, so my thought was okay let's sort this out and get back some control so I found my union um, my teaching union and um, they were fantastic I mean credit to them within 15 minutes to 30 minutes I was passed on to a specialist criminal solicitor in Birmingham who specialised in this area of law. I mean, that was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. That's and really so good. I would say to anyone who is a teacher or anybody who works with children or vulnerable people, if the only reason you join a union is to get the legal backing, then do that. 100%. Yeah. All of my legal stuff was covered by my membership. I mean, I, I, there was no way I could have afforded that solicitor on my own salary. No. But, you know, and, and it was 
reassuring. She said, straight away, don't worry, we'll get the file off the duty solicitor. We will take charge. Don't talk to anyone or answer any questions about this. Refer them to us. Um, and I said, cool, okay. And then I phoned my mum. Well, <laughs> 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 because I thought I, I at least needed to be able to say to her, look, I've got someone on my side already. Yeah. Um, so that was on the day of the allegation. Um, we then went, uh, oh, I should have said I was obviously bailed by the police. I was bailed to return a month later, um, which I did. Um, and on that day, merely signed a bail extension. Uh, the police actually were, they were really accommodating actually. They, they made sure that my bail time didn't interrupt my schoolwork. Even the two detectives who were investigating me were shocked that I wasn't suspended. It makes no sense, does it? It really doesn't. Um, so, well, this happened during the East holiday. So, of course, I'm thinking, well, well what happens when I get back to school? Now that I've been arrested, yeah. does that change? Um, and I got back to school at the start of the summer term, met with the head teacher with my union rep, and the head teacher tried very oddly to force me to take gardening leave. So to voluntarily take paid leave. Hmm. And I said to him, no, if you're not gonna suspend me, I have a track record of 100% attendance. I've never missed a day and I've got a reputation. So quite frankly, if you aren't spending me, I'm staying. Which is because, which is reasonable, absolutely. Well, me suddenly vanishing would have looked really weird. It would have it would have looked very suspicious as well to other people because again, it comes back to the the play, doesn't it? And uh, amongst other things, but there's no smoke. Yeah. Um, and so what I did is I stayed at work. Now, very little happened. I mean, obviously, there was a risk that rumours could go around. 
Um, I only heard one person sort of half-heartedly say, you know, what did that you know, other person say about you being a pedo and being arrested? And I just looked at them and said, think about it, mate. If I've been arrested for being a pedo, do you think I'll be at work? Hmm. And he went, oh, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so it actually worked better for me to be at work. Um, well, I say that now. Um, but it was hard work. Oh, absolutely. Um, I had to... A, I couldn't discuss it. B, I had to lie about where my work laptop was. I had to tell the IT department that it was um, being looked at. You have to see the head teacher. And I. I got really well with the IT department because I was one of the few teachers who could actually use use IT. <laughs> so he just looked at me weird, and I think he got the vibe of you know that kind of "don't go there" yes vibe, and so he left it alone. Um, I had to keep a lid on my temper um, most days I I could keep a lid on it till lunchtime then at lunch what I would do would be to get in my car and if anyone knows Coventry you'll know the Coventry Ring Road the road of death Yes. So it goes around the city centre and you pretty much gotta be a a red out red arrow fighter pilot to get on to and survive off it. it, yeah. <laughs> um, but what it gave me was a perfect amount of time to drive around it a couple of times because my school was in the city centre area and really close to the ring road. So I could easily jump in my car, get to the ring road, couple of laps, couple of fags. Um, I smoked a hell of a lot in, in this period. I can imagine. Um, and then go back to work with enough um, calmness battery recharge to last the afternoon um, I was also working on a, a school show as well so that kept me going um, I'm actually glad in one way I'm glad I had work because it meant I didn't just sit at home stewing yeah 
Um, in another way, I think it did a huge amount of damage having to hold that in. Uh, after three months, and I know it was three months because on the 4th of July, Independence Day, hmm. um, I was due to go back to sign bail again. Um, but I got a phone call. I was teaching the lesson and I got a phone call and I could see it was my solicitor. Um, and I thought, oh shit. Oh, whoops, sorry. No, no, you're okay. <laughs> Your heart sinks, doesn't it? Every time, uh, you know, the <laughs> I, solicitor, etc. phoned, you'd always sit there and assume, oh God, what now? Yeah, and it was, you know, um, and I looked for my class, and they, they were, an, I think they were an A-level class, so they were older. Yeah. And I... I said to them, look, I'm really sorry, but I have to take this call. And they were like, yeah, no problem, so well. And so I nipped out of the room, um, and solicitor just said, you don't have to go and sign. Um, CPS who dropped the case, no further action. Um, the police will be in contact to let you know when to pick up your computers. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, and then I put a quick phone call <laughs> into my mum, because I thought, you know, she was on ten hooks. Of course, day. yeah, no, of course. Um, <laughs> And of, of course, you know, I told her and she was in tears and all of that. And I said, look, oh, I can't talk now. I literally have a class that I've snuck out of. And anyway, I went back in, back into my class and apologised again because, you know, uh, bear in mind, it's 2008, so the mobile phone culture wasn't quite what it is today. Sure. So, you know, um, you never saw my phone during a lesson. Um, and the kids just waved it off. Um, and then one of them said, um, what was it? She said, um, good news though, wasn't it? And I looked at her, I said, what do you mean? And she just said, sorry, um, she said that she could tell. Yeah, in your whole demeanor. And I thought, wow, was it that obvious was, just by the the vibe I was giving yeah. off 
that the weight of the world had just been lifted. Um, and I think what's I, in, gone. Sorry, I said to her, <laughs> "Yeah, I can't tell you what it is, but but yeah, actually, it, it was good news. Thanks." And then just carried on with the lesson, and I've always reflected back on that. So I thought, you know what, the kids knew. Absolutely. And I think what's... Oh, you know, three months, they knew something was wrong. Yeah. And I'd done my best to keep up the front, but something was really bad. Um, and... And that's where I come back to after I got the computers back from the police when I went in to see them. I had a nice little chat with the detective. And she was a lovely lady. And she said to me, we knew from the start this was false. And she said, and I'll just let you know that her, her partner, the other detective, he'd actually been a victim himself wow. in the past. Um, and she said that the two things sorted it out. The fact that none of the evidence against me had anything in it. No. The witness that I'd named precisely corroborated what I had said. Um, and she said, as far as they were concerned, it was over as soon as they talked to that, that witness. The only reason it took them three months and not just a week was because they had to look through that whole dossier from their teacher. That's, I mean, that, that in itself is just... I think that says everything about the whole case, doesn't it? You know, mm. the, the fact that and, it was, it was obvious. Said, she said that. And she said, so, think on that. Um, and I went, oh, okay, right. And she, and she just said, look, off the record here, he tried to destroy you. And I went, okie dokie. And, and I left the station. And ever since that day, I've thought now, with hindsight, with all of my experience, what I object to is why is that off the record? Mm. Why isn't the liar 
both the lives, the child, his father, and the head teacher, why aren't they on record for what they did and what they tried to do to me? Because, you know, let's be honest, um, this wasn't just potentially career-ending. This was potentially life-changing. And potentially life-ending as well. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm not the only person, but the day after I was arrested, I was was in the doctors and I was asked the question, do you feel suicidal? And I answered honestly and I said, to be honest, right now, I do feel suicidal. And I said, the only thing that's stopping me from, from doing anything like that is the fact that if I go and kill myself now, everybody is going to turn around and say, must have done it. He's taken the easy way out. He's not faced justice. He must have done it. I said, the only way that doesn't happen is if I stay on this earth and I fight my corner. And that's what I did, obviously. But I fully understand and appreciate that there are other people out there that it affects way, way more. I mean, it's affected you and I to a massive scale. Other people aren't as lucky. I think, you know, we talk about the wider circle of people that are hurt. The reason it really gets to me about the witness was the witness that I named In hindsight, looking back, it's almost, on one hand, the one regret I have was naming him. Because this hit him really hard. Mm. I, I worked very closely with that boy. Um and with his mum for many, many reasons. Um, And that boy knew this whole thing was a lie. Yeah. And he had to continue going to school for three months with me there. And the number of times we caught eye caught her eyes both of us knowing what I was going through and not being allowed to talk about it and that impacted him greatly Mm. Um, he was really worried his mum was really worried and eventually it wasn't until about the middle of July we had some like parents' evening kind of thing, and I, I, you know, his mum came in to do the school thing, and then I asked him, asked the kids to go, yeah, just go outside, want to talk to your mum. Yeah. And I, 
I checked with the police that it was okay and asked them how to inform the witness that the case is over and they told me they had but they bloody hadn't oh my lord and so I'm done and she's looking at me with this terrified look and I said well look I have you been told that it's over no further action it's all done and she said no you're the first person that's told us crazy thank god you know yeah definitely she said yeah you must mean to helen back and i just said to her yeah i've been told when i get back i don't know yeah and I think I think that resonates really well with with myself and probably most of our listeners as well. To be fair. Mm. So, but yeah, I mean that really is. I think the only thing I missed in that story was that after I'd been accused, I went home and typed into the internet, "Oh help! What do I do?" Um, and that's when I discovered the organisation FACT, which is not the film people. <laughs> it's the faulty accused carers and teachers who I, you know, I've been a national committee member of. I'm still a member of them now. They're, they're a godsend. Um, and it wasn't until I went to a conference there with 200 other people that I realised, A, I wasn't alone. Yeah. And B, how frighteningly common this was. So, and as you say, that was over 10 years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, so, I mean, that really is all that happened in my story. I'm very lucky that my case only lasted three months. Um, but it was the worst three months of my life, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, I think a point I'd like to make is, obviously, as you know, but I'm sure the listeners don't, I was on bail for 12 months. Um, Yeah. It was very nearly 13 months in the end. Um, I guess guess the question I want to ask is, obviously, you know, you was on bail for three months because it was so long ago, and the number of cases back then were not as great, excuse me, were not as many as there are today. Now, <clears throat> half a decade ago, I was on bail for for over a year. What I want to ask our listeners is, how long was you on bail for? How long did you have this hanging over your life without the ability to to see straight, to think straight? You know, I, I found it very hard to plan anything that I wanted to do in the future. I actually found it really hard to even think about anything to do with the future 
Um, so I'd like to hear from our listeners sort of how long they was on bail for. That's a really good question. Um, I mean, one, one measure of it, I suppose, was if you talk about my play, No Smoke, I wrote, I started writing that in 2012. I couldn't even go near the issue for four years. Yeah. I mean, I I still have a copy of all of the paperwork of the dossier that the head teacher has. I still have never gone through it. And I can't. And no. I don't think I ever will. But weirdly, I have moved house one, two, three, four or five times since then. And every time I clear out loads of crap. But I don't throw it away. No. And it's, I think it's a weird kind of sadism against my I think against myself really. It, it's almost like you can't let go for fear of it coming back. That's certainly yeah. the way I feel. Um Well there is that um that horrible knowledge um that there is simply no way anyone can guarantee that they won't fall into this trap. No. I mean ever since the Jimmy Savile case, um, which is, you know, several shows on its own, but mm, definitely from 2012, what happened then is the floodgates opened, particularly on historical abuse claims, and it means that you could be accused of something decades ago and you've got no way of defending yourself. Mm. And I think I think the scary thing is the the justice system that we have states that you're innocent until proven guilty and Generally, that's the case, except for in historical cases, whereby you have to prove that it didn't happen. And well, is it interesting that I'm going to be really pedantic on this? In our, I've, I've had to over the years learn a lot about the law, and I've read a lot into it. There is absolutely nothing in our legal system which condones the treatment of guilty until proven innocent. Mm. There is nothing that supports it. And so it is, we don't actually need any new laws or anything. We just need to change the way 
that we conduct those laws because in reality you cannot convict somebody without evidence and just somebody giving a statement that something happened is not enough for what is called a safe conviction. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, th th there's all sorts of discussions and debates that we can have in further shows, and I think we should save that for another time because we have run over. So, what I do want to ask you before we go is, obviously, w we have a situation whereby the laws are in place that if you pervert the course of justice, if you waste police time by making a false allegation and telling a lie, that you can be jailed for it, you can be convicted for it. Um, we, I, I, You've just said it yourself there, we don't need to change the laws. What we need to do is we need to change how we um, follow them. Mm. So, obviously you've shared your story with us, which is, you know, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day and actually going through it because I understand um, as much as anybody else recanting a story like that. It doesn't matter whether it happened 10 days ago or 10 years ago. It's always going to be difficult. So, you know, I really do appreciate that. But I guess the question I really want to ask you before we finish is if you could sit down with the Director of Public Prosecutions and say anything to them about false allegations, what do you think that you would say to them in order to attempt to get them to prosecute more people for making false allegations when the weight of the evidence is there? It's funny you should say that because um, I've done that in the past. A certain Mr. Keir Starmer, ah. who was the DPP at the who time... He was indeed, yeah. ...did meet me on a radio programme one day, and I challenged him over that particular issue. Um, which is why I just sneer at him being the leader of the Labour Party. Um, I think what I would be saying to him is we need to be very careful that we don't undermine the extremely important work we do to protect genuine victims of abuse, yeah. of assault. Um, and I'm a very passionate campaigner for child protection. Mm -hmm. um, but people who are victims of false allegations are also victims of a very terrible abuse. And what, what I want to see is a, a recourse in the way that we 
use our law to say that if you're someone who makes a false, malicious allegation, that you will face consequences for that. Now, we have had some cases of that, but the problem is that the onus is on proving that the liar told a lie about the about the alleged crime. Yeah. Um, and we are forcing the um, alleged perpetrator to prove their innocence. But the reason that doesn't work is because we already we allow their name to be muddied, dragged through the system. We suspend them destroy their reputation, their families, everything, before the case has even got to court. Yeah. And so, and then, even if it gets to court, and even if the person is found not guilty, they're still told, as I was, this doesn't mean you're innocent. Mm. It just means we haven't proven your guilt. And that's that's what we need to challenge. Yeah. Because at the moment, we are chasing many cases which are false. And that angers me because the police that are tied up doing that should be investigating cases that are real. So we really need to address that middle ground of what do we do about the abuser and to make sure that that word abuser applies to someone who actually physically or sexually or domestically abuses someone or it applies to someone who makes a malicious allegation yeah because the abuse is still an abuse of power it, it ultimately it, it comes down to the the, the relatively new uh, way of looking at it but it comes down to coercive control um, mm. and, and I think that coercive control needs to be better recognised as a tool by abusers rather than something that men do to women which is something that unfortunately people like Women's Aid etc have weaponized in recent times um, you know I've, I've put out a few tweets taking aim at Women's Aid and at Kafkas for example um, and I think it's important that they do. We recognise that they do a fantastic job for genuine victims. They will always fight the corner of genuine victims. But what they don't do is they don't sit there when there isn't a genuine victim, and they don't say, "Hang on a minute, 
this is not right, we need to also protect the rights of others as well. Now, I appreciate people like Women's Aid are there to protect women. We've got something called the Mankind Initiative, who I've been very closely involved with for the past decade, um, and who I can't promote enough. Now, they do very similar things whilst also acknowledging that not all men are victims. Not all men are innocent. You know, they, they, can, they can champion the corner of men. Mm. They can champion the fact that, you know, men are victims in, in domestic violence, in coercive control, in, you know, the, the rest of the, the, you know, coercive control side that comes with it. Um while still acknowledging that not everybody is a victim. Now, unfortunately, what Women's Aid do, uh, and, and Kafkas to a certain extent do, once they've chosen a side, is, I mean, Kafkas particular, rather than choosing a side, what they should be doing is saying, okay, here's the child, what's in their best interest? Now, I know they say they do that, but that isn't the case. Well, I think um, I'm, I'm trying not to plug my own play too much here, but um, these are issues that are raised in No Smoke. Oh, fantastic. Um, And the reason they're raised is because, you know, No Smoke is a play, it's fiction. It's not my story, but it does take from real life Um, And it's important to consider the fact, firstly, very, very few cases happen where a child lies and maintains that Mm. lie. Because children aren't very good liars. No. Most cases of false allegations are made by adults. So when you have someone who is talking about their abuse from 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, you are getting a disclosure from an adult, not a child. Yeah. And that's... And that's because, and you have to recognise that because a child will not make an allegation for the same reason that an adult will. No, no, absolutely. Um, and the the uh, motive—that's the word—the motive for the allegation is not the same. And so I'm a very big supporter that when you have a child and it says it in the play, when you look in their eyes and you see that look that says, help me, Mm. you know. And I've had that from children. I've taken disclosures from real victims. Yeah. And I know that look. That's the thing. You and I have both supported real victims in different ways. And yet we've both been victims of false allegations. It just goes to show how wide and far. It's cruel logic, isn't it? It's horrendous, isn't it? Now, 
I am going to stop us there because we are touching 90 minutes um, and I did want to keep up to, to 60 yeah <laughs> absolutely so um, you know I could talk to you all day there's, there's so much more to raise there's so much more to talk about but I'm, I'm going to stop it there and I'm going to thank you very much for your time if anybody's got any questions or comments leave them below this is going to be on YouTube it's going to be on the podcast site and obviously I'm going to promote it on on social media so if anyone's got any comments or questions leave them below um and if you need us to come back and do a question and answer session separately we'll do that separately i think is probably the best way of doing it yeah but, but for now we have just hit 90 minutes exactly colin thank you so much for your time this morning it's been a pleasure and same thing if anyone wants to get in contact with me Please feel free. Yeah, I'll make sure that your social media channels are advertised in the description and things, and I'll tag you into the posts when these go live. Give Colin a follow. He'll come back closer to September to discuss his play, where to see it, how to get tickets. And like I say, if, if there is burning questions that you want us to come back and do a question and answer session on in relation to this podcast, I think we're both more than willing to do that. <clears throat> Okay, thanks everyone for listening. Bye-bye.